0: Hello, I'm Ryan Vasquez, and this is After Irma, What's Next for Florida. 2017 was an historical year for hurricanes. It was not only one of the most active seasons on record, but early damage estimates place it as the most expensive in United States history. According to some experts, like former FEMA director Craig Fugate, it could be the beginning of the norm, rather than an outlier.
1: It was not a once in a 10 year event, but I think you really gotta look at this as what we're seeing is you had three hurricanes, all set records. Uh, This is our new
0: normal. After Hurricanes Harvey, Maria, and Irma right here in Florida, everyone from politicians and emergency management officials on down to you listening right now are wondering what we will do to prepare for such a future. Florida has been here before with Hurricane Andrew. In 1992, the Category 5 storm set South Florida in its sights and forever changed the way the state and the country handles hurricanes. Now, 25 years later, Irma sits as another milestone event that could forever change the state of Florida. In the next half hour, we will take a look at Irma's ongoing impact on Floridians and some measures that will forever change the state.
2: Uh, From the National Hurricane Center and there has been a significant shift uh, on Andrew, the forecast. Andrew track. was a
3: very powerful storm, but a very tight School storm compared to Lord. Irma.
0: Hurricane Irma made its first landfall in Florida on September 10th, and the eye of the storm stayed over the state for the next 29 hours. Irma was responsible for 82 deaths in the state, 14 of which were at a nursing home in Hollywood. These 14 victims did not die directly from the storm, however, but from the effects of overheating during a power outage. The incident caused Governor Rick Scott to make one of the first immediate changes post-storm, enacting an emergency rule requiring nursing homes to have an emergency plan and a generator to support their facility during similar outages. WUFT's Skylar LeBron has more on how this rule has created new problems for nursing home facilities across the state.
2: Governor Rick Scott is pushing for nursing homes and assisted living facilities in Florida to be more prepared for catastrophes like Irma. Now the issue is that these facilities haven't been given the time to react to the governor's swift emergency rule. And these issues have forced state organizations to step in and challenge the rule while questioning the thought process of the decision.
4: The judge actually ruled that the emergency rule was arbitrary and capricious. The definition of arbitrary and capricious in the law is without thought or on a whim.
2: That was Leading Age Florida CEO Steve Ballmer. Leading Age is a trade association that represents these nursing homes and assisted living facilities. After the Hollywood deaths, Rick Scott made two firm deadlines for these facilities. First, an October 31st deadline of having a plan for backup generator power in place, then, a November 15th deadline to have the new generators installed. Don't comply, and facilities face getting their licenses revoked and $1,000 a day fines. Ted Roberts, owner of Annie's Place, a newer assisted living facility in Gainesville, agrees that change needed to be made.
1: This is, this is something that was needed, is needed. Um, I don't think that's even in question.
2: But for many facilities throughout the state, that deadline became nearly impossible to work with.
1: I'm completely, totally unrealistic to achieve what we had to achieve in 60 days.
2: Roberts, who has spent over $22,000 on a generator that can power his 14-bed facility's AC and basic necessities, says that the deadlines could force owners to cut corners.
1: By putting us under pressure that this has to be done in 60 days, people are going to run out and cut corners and and we could actually be creating more of a catastrophic situation down the road.
2: And for some facilities, price is a major issue. She didn't want to conduct a recorded interview, but Carol Cleckley, owner of Cleckley Assisted Living in Gainesville, is selling her facility in large part because of the generator's price and deadline. Here at Oak Hammock Retirement Community, one of the larger facilities in Gainesville, the issue is mainly with timing. For Okamik CEO Jeff Hagen, he knew immediately the deadline was too close.
1: We knew right up front we couldn't comply. So the best we could do is come up with a plan that we could present to them on how we could comply and like the, the time it would take to do
2: it. Okamik is paying between six hundred to seven hundred thousand dollars for generators that could power the community for at least ninety-six hours, the ruling's minimum required time. For the 100 plus bed community and most others, specific inspections are needed to find out exactly what each facility needs, a process that takes a decent chunk of time.
1: For our size organization, we need to plan on a two month, just an engineering study to find out what we need to cover our needs.
2: A two-month process that doesn't include manufacturing the generators, installing them, and surpasses well past the 60 days. And the need from across the nation, from places like Puerto Rico and South Texas, has left many facilities in Florida on back order. Here's Annie's Place owner, Ted Roberts.
1: All the generators have gone there. The availability is just not there, so we have to wait.
2: Leading Age Florida, the trade association that represents these nursing homes and facilities, attempted to relay their concerns to Scott. Here's the CEO, Steve Baumer, again.
4: We worked with the governor's office to try to help him understand that it was the timeline that was the problem and that it was not going to be possible to comply with the timeline.
2: Um, he refused um, to budge on the timeline. He says after the refusal to compromise, they decided to file a challenge on the rule.
4: We won that challenge. The judge in that case ruled declaratively that the the state did not demonstrate that there was an emergency sufficient to justify an emergency rule.
2: Despite winning the challenge, nothing is finalized until the appeals process is finished, meaning the fines and revocation of licenses is still on the table.
4: So unless something happens with those timelines between now and the next hurricane season, I have no doubt there will still be providers who are waiting to get generators delivered or installed, um, who may still be struggling with the local permitting process and the other kinds of variables that get in the way of compliance.
2: None of the businesses or facilities we reached out to disagreed with the ruling to implement new generators for next hurricane season. But because of the timing and the prices, there may not be as many nursing homes that can afford to be around for the next hurricane that comes Florida's way.
0: The nursing home industry is not the only one experiencing an immediate change. The state's $120 billion agriculture industry was significantly impacted by the storm. For months now after Irma, state officials and Florida's congressional delegation have pushed for billions in disaster aid to help farmers. WUFT's Luke Sullivan visited with one such farmer back in September. 200 volunteers from around the state descended on his Pasco County blueberry farm the weekend after the storm in an attempt to save his livelihood.
5: The Saturday morning air was muggy but not yet hot as volunteers carried bamboo stakes down the seemingly endless rows of blueberry bushes at Frogmore Fresh Farm in Pasco County. Frogmore was hit hard by Hurricane Irma, whose strong winds damaged over a 100,000 plants at the farm, over a third of the total, all of which now may die if left unattended. Almost 200 showed up to stake up the plants, giving them a better shot at surviving until the spring harvest. General Manager of Frogmore Fresh, Leonard Park, says how a damaged root system can spell the end for a plant.
1: Torn roots, just like a cut finger like I have here. You know, you have to protect it.
5: According to Park, without protection, the blueberry plants will be easily susceptible to disease. Pasco County Extension Director for the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences, Dr. Whitney Elmore, called Park to check on his crop after Irma.
3: When I called him, I could hear the heartbreak in his voice to be honest with you. You know, I said, what's the damage? And when he first said about 100,000 plants, that was unbelievable.
5: To both of them, it was clear. Without large-scale action and fast, the future of the entire farm was at stake. Elmore quickly went to work organizing an effort to save the damaged plants and really the whole farm.
3: And I picked up the phone. I called our dean of extension and director of extension, Dr. Nick Place, up in Gainesville, and I said, Nick, we need help down here in Pasco. And I know lots of other folks across the state need help. But I said, I see this is one place where we can have an immediate impact.
5: The word went out through the College of Agricultural and Life Sciences at UF, and also on social media. Within hours, the event page on Facebook had over 4,000 views. Park did not expect the turnout of nearly 200 people he found Saturday morning.
1: You know, I'm here this morning. It's 7 o'clock, and I'm thinking 50 to 60, 70 people maybe. And I understand we've got somewhere around 190, and people look are doing a great job, we're real happy
2: about
5: it. Some volunteers drove almost two hours from Gainesville to help. Katie Bassett is a UF student and member of the Alpha Zeta Agricultural Honor Society. She woke up extra early to be at the farm.
3: It was definitely worth getting up at 6.30 in the morning for because we were talking and a bunch of the people here I'm close with and we were, it's really early, it's going to be rough, but we really just wanted to make a difference for people that were affected. So it's really rewarding actually coming out and being here for it.
5: Frogmore Fresh has a lot of work ahead of it to make sure as many plants as possible are ready for harvest, although the help on Saturday was a much needed jumpstart. Park is nervous about how many blueberries he'll harvest in the spring but he believes the support from the community will find its way into the berries.
1: Uh, a little tender love and care. I've never heard anything, so they're going to taste fine.
0: Park and almost
5: 200 others can't wait to try them.
0: Now, three months later, WUFT's Dolores Hinckley check back in on Frogmore Fresh. Some of them, if you hit them, you know, they're going to go over.
3: General Manager Leonard Park of Frogmore Fresh Blueberry Farm still worries about the almost 200,000 canes holding up his plants.
1: If you, were, if you have the tape to tied the little plant, and if you were to clip the tape off, the plant would just go, just like that.
3: Each of them were hand-tied by volunteers after Hurricane Irma hit. Though the recovery efforts are over, Park says driving through the field... Plans it's clear his crops have taken a beating. See,
1: You know, it looks like we're growing bamboo.
3: But many farmers across the state are in worse situations. A University of Florida study shows the Florida agricultural industry could lose 50,000 jobs due to the storm. One of the project coordinators at the Farmworker Association of Florida, Jeannie Economo, says less crop means less work.
6: When you have workers that are accustomed to working on piece rate, which means they work on production rather than by the hour, it can drastically reduce their income. So if the crop is much sparser, then that means that they are able to harvest less and thus make less money.
3: Economo says she's answered plenty of desperate calls from farm workers since the storm.
6: What we're encountering is a lot of farm workers who are not able to pay their rent, are not able to pay their utilities. They're just trying to get by with having enough money to pay for food and basic necessities.
3: $2.6 billion are set aside for the agricultural industry in the new disaster relief package passed by the U.S. House of Representatives, but it's unclear how it could impact farms like Frogmore Fresh or farm workers across Florida.
1: Time-wise, you know, there are a lot of plants, we do not know when they will totally recover uh, to the point where we're gonna be afraid if the canes rot that they're gonna fall over next summer. Financially, it's it's not the end of the world, but it's
0: certainly a, a major setback. You're listening to After Irma, what's next for Florida. A storm the size of Irma intruded on everyone in the state. Damaging winds, storm surge, and torrential rain contributed to quite a path of destruction. For some neighborhoods in Gainesville, flooding from Irma dredged up past debates with the city over flood zones and mitigation measures, all of which doesn't mean much when your home is flooded. WUFT's David Jones has more on the dilemma facing some homeowners in Gainesville.
4: No, I would not leave the house.
0: WUFT first brought you the story of Louisa Pena in
7: September, Her home at the entrance to the hills of Santa Fe neighborhood was flooded, one of three homes in the neighborhood just south of Meadowbrook Golf Course. Cars, furniture, landscaping equipment submerged. The bottom half of her son's loft-style room was entirely underwater.
4: So that was the first, you know, big hurdle was taking care of the room. I'm afraid for the next time, and yes, I'm putting a lot of effort to fixing my home again, but... It's on the back of my mind that, you know, I'm terrified of any big storm that we might have.
7: For the Peñas, it's short-term fixes for long-term problems. Legacy flood zones in Alachua County, an issue Debbie Menacher formed a committee to tackle.
1: We want to let them know that we're not going away. Um, that we want some action this time, that we want corrections made.
7: They want the county commission to make progress on funding repairs that will mitigate the flooding.
1: Our actions, I think, are being noticed, and uh, we're feeling more positive about it, and we're feeling empowered.
7: Before Irma, there hadn't been a large-scale discussion of solutions since 2010. That was the year a so-called stormwater master plan was proposed to the commission. The plan addressed 18 major flooding locations in the county.
8: I don't believe they found they funded they funded any locations at that time. The board said that if any of these locations could be fixed, it would have to be a special assessment levied against the folks that lived in those subdivisions.
7: Alachua opinion. County Engineer Ramon Gavarete.
8: Obviously, if somebody would have implemented back in 2010, some of those locations most likely would have been already fixed or alleviated by now.
7: The issue boils down to funding. The Stormwater Master Plan would have cost the county over $6 million per year. Alachua County doesn't even have a specific budget for infrastructure. And solutions vary by area. One major idea the county is proposing is to buy out homes at risk of severe flooding in the future. That's a concept that doesn't sit well with Louisa Pena.
4: I love my home. I like my neighbors. You know, I have a few neighbors here that I'm friends with and I'm comfortable in my home and it's not that easy to just get up and move.
7: And so Panya was there, along with other Alachua County residents living in flood prone areas, when the Board of County Commissioners held a special meeting to address the issue.
1: And all those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed. The motion is unanimous.
7: A united yes. That's how the Alachua County Board of County Commissioners voted on a resolution to address the county's flood zones.
3: These flooding problems are in part due to some past short-sighted decisions.
7: In total, the resolution has eight pieces. First, go home by home. First to the subdivisions that got hit the worst, like Robin Lane and Hills of Santa Fe. Talk with the homeowners and find out if they're willing to sell. But if they are...
1: What happens to our neighborhoods? Is the county going to maintain those two houses or three houses or four houses for a year or two until the money comes in? Are they just going to be these empty, gutted homes.
7: Residents like Donna Doolittle want a definite answer to that question. The resolution also says that if there's a viable solution cheaper than buying out the homes, take it. Most residents want the county to exhaust all options before considering buyouts.
0: I encourage you not just to pick the fruit from the low-hanging tree by buying out a few
8: houses, but to continue getting out in front of this problem
7: And the resolution places importance on safety precautions, too, putting focus on neighborhoods where water could prevent emergency traffic. To fund the changes, the commissioners are looking to split costs with the state and water management districts. Commissioner Ken Cornell.
5: I'm hopeful that the water management district uh, and the counties will be receiving some additional appropriations and or money uh, to deal with specifically the things that we're dealing with.
7: The commission authorized Public Works to hire consultants. They'll come in, analyze the legacy flood zones, and help the Public Works Department with grant applications. County Engineer Ramon Gavarete says the consultants could cost anywhere from half a million to a million dollars.
8: It'll be primarily to further analyze the options to make sure that the option that we select will definitely work. We feel that they should work. But you still need to do all the modeling. You still need to do the ground proofing, you know, geotech explorations.
7: The final part of the motion orders staff to analyze the whole county for more potential flood zones. At the moment, the Public Works Department doesn't have much information about flooding on the east side of the county.
8: I mean, so, we just did not have time to go analyze the entire county and be able to meet this 12, 12 5 uh, deadline.
7: All of the cheapest solutions added together would cost $9.5 million. The fixes Gavarete refers to as the quote, Cadillac solutions would cost about three times more $33.5 million. The next step forward is bringing in consultants and reaching out to homeowners. Gavarete told the commission his department will have an analysis for the entire county by the second week
0: of January. You're listening to After Irma. What's next for Florida? While these Gainesville residents plot out their next move, one Gainesville family is stuck in limbo. Not about a flooded home, but a home without electricity. Thousands of people in the Gainesville area were without power after the storm, and most got it back within a few days. But WUFT's Luke Sullivan discovered one family is still in the dark more than three months after the storm.
5: A home is a different place when the lights go out. Once familiar hallways and rooms navigable by instinct alone become dark, confusing labyrinths. Their bright and warm colors reduced to flickers of detail revealed by a weak candlelight. Heavy summer heat, usually kept at bay by the miracles of modern air conditioning, seeps into bedrooms, kitchens, and bathrooms. Air stagnates and seems to stick to your throat when you try to breathe. After Hurricane Irma, over 60,000 Gainesville Regional Utilities customers lost power. Just over a week later, GRU had the number of their customers without power down to 349. This story, though, is not about people who lost power at the mercy of the winds and rains of a hurricane, but rather those who lost it by the decisions and keystrokes of men and women in an office building.
6: So it's, it's getting ridiculous. It's, it's getting cold, you know. It's cold nights, even though we, you know, we've, we tested out with kerosene heaters, you know, to keep warm. Um, We do have running water, but we still ain't comfortable and stable in our house because it's getting expensive because we have to buy batteries then every day to keep the lights bright in the house so you can be able to look through there, take a bath, get ready, you know, kids get ready for school and stuff like that. So it's kind of hard.
5: That's Shanita Ricks. She and her family have been without power for 92 days as of recording this and counting. Ricks lives in her mom Runel's house in East Gainesville. She works at a daycare, and at home, she takes care of eight children. Irma tore off the Ricks weatherhead, that metal pipe sticking out of some houses receiving the power line. The power was still on, but the whole situation didn't seem too safe.
6: GRU came through here, and it was on the streets at that time, looking at trees and power lines and stuff that people was going through. At that time, my mama notified them and let them know about this box. Hey, He's got this power line hanging down. I have grandkids. Here and I don't want them to touch it and get less because it would have been a disaster. Um, so the man notified GRU. They came out here. Um, then they come right in. They came out the next day. We didn't think it was going to be this bad. We thought that GRU was going to come over here and make sure it was click on and go on by their business, but it didn't go that way. It was a total 360 degree.
5: GRU refused to repair the damaged weatherhead so the power could be turned back on safely. Chief Customer Officer for GRU, William Shepard, says this is pretty run-of-the-mill
8: so it's it's right at the top of the weatherhead mm-hmm. so that's where we tie into the customer services so if there's damage to this part that's the customer's responsibility when storms occur it is very common for weatherheads to be damaged line will come down uh, or a limb will come down on the line and yank everything it'll damage some of our facilities up line and it'll damage some of the customers facilities down line
5: Repairs of the weatherhead will cost over $400. Other damages may run the family $3,000 before the house is back to its pre-Irma condition.
0: In part two, Luke looks at how the Ricks family has been living without power and what they are doing to resolve the problem.
5: Part one of this story covered a family in Gainesville that has not had power for 92 days. Part two will cover how they tried to get it back. Ricks heard from a neighbor that FEMA had been doing some relief work around Gainesville after the storm. She gave them a call.
6: We called a couple of days after the Hurricane Emma. We called about the situation, about the roof and our lights and all that stuff like that. And then that's when um, we was put on the waiting list and we didn't hear for enough about two months.
5: After those two months, a FEMA representative, who the Ricks found nice enough, showed up at their door. 24 hours later, a check for just over $700 made out for the purpose of rental assistance arrived. Expecting that to be the beginning of the relief process they needed, the Ricks distributed that money to friends and family who had helped them out in those two months. In the meantime, FEMA said they would send an application for the Ricks to apply for aid. A week passed, and then two, and then three. No application. FEMA has been quiet since then. For the Ricks, the lights are out, and the house feels different.
6: home was like, you could feel the breeze in the air through your house because of Everything was, like, pretty much alive. It's just a different breeze. You know how you can come home and be like, I'm home, but now when you come home, you don't have no license, like, not this again. You know, it's like your air is flattened out. It's like losing a best friend.
5: The reality of living without power long-term has set in.
6: Um, we buy food day by day. Um, sometimes we get, like, a cooler with ice in it and we try to keep it cool, or sometimes we'll take it to somebody's house and keep it cool for us. Um, but most of the time, we cook on a little, um, a little hot, well, it's like one of them little burning things right there. So that's what we use to cook, and cook, and it's like having a kitchen outside. That's how we pretty much do it.
5: Questions of justice and utility policies aside, the fact remains there is a family of 10 in Gainesville that has remained without power for three months, with absolutely no end in sight children take cold baths, study by an electric lantern, and sit in their mother's car to listen to music or watch TV on the small screen of their mother's smartphone. Shepard from GRU says that helping one family could be the beginning of a slippery slope.
8: If GRU was to come in and say, you know, we understand your troubles, uh, we understand your issues, let us fix it. There are probably somewhat five or 6,000 that would have that same circumstance. The um, regulatory restrictions keep us from working on the secondary. And the secondary starts at that weatherhead. So it takes a licensed electrician to work on that. Second, uh, that amount of money that every other customer would expect for us to pay would now be putting that much burden on the other 95,000 customers.
5: My Asia is Shanita's seven-year-old daughter. She has some thoughts on the situation. Until um, not good,
8: not good.
5: What, what's changed for you? What's different? Um, I wish the light would
4: be back on, so we watch TV and stuff.
5: Asia and her family are surviving in this different place, but all they want is to find their way home and turn the lights on.
0: Since we first aired this story last week, we have received dozens of responses to help the Riggs family have a brighter new year. During the reporting of this story, it was illuminating to find out what Gainesville regional utilities and in turn some utilities can and cannot do, especially after a storm. GRU is a municipally run utility which allowed it to recover costs associated with Hurricane Irma from FEMA. That's not the same deal for investor-owned utilities like Florida Power and Light. We reached out to FPL and they tell us they have over a billion dollars in restoration costs to recover post-storm. The utility has asked the Florida Public Service Commission to raise its rates $4 per kilowatt hour per month in 2018. That is proposed to go up to $5.50 in 2019, with costs not expected to be fully recovered until 2020. Whether from the federal government or ratepayers, money for restoration has to come from somewhere. And that takes us to our final story. Rick Scott is asking for more than $1.3 billion for disaster preparedness, response, recovery, and mitigation in his final budget as Florida's governor. In addition to that, more than 130 bills were filed in the state legislature prior to the 2018 session related to the hurricane. WUFT's Grace King has a look at what some of those bills are and what Floridians would like to see changed.
9: Shortly after Hurricane Andrew, then-Governor Lawton Childs created the Governor's Disaster Planning and Response Review Committee. The group produced a list of 93 recommendations, largely focusing on improving communication and strengthening evacuation and shelter plans. Many of those recommendations were implemented in the years leading up to Hurricane Irma, especially with regards to communication, says Orlando Rios, who stayed in his Hollywood, Florida home during Irma.
8: I think they do a good job of telling us what's happening with the hurricane and how, how far along it's coming and what it will be.
9: But in other areas, lawmakers feel the state hasn't done enough. So Speaker of the Florida House Richard Corcoran followed in Governor Childs' footsteps and established the Select Committee on Hurricane Response and Preparedness to look at storm-related issues in 10 areas. About half of the recommendations fall into the three largest categories. The first, health care facilities and medical care. The second, beaches, sanitary sewers, stormwater, flooding, and debris removal. And the third, energy which includes electric utilities and petroleum. Sunrise resident Mary Monzon wants lawmakers to find a way to restore power more efficiently. Everything was without electricity, so it was, it was not a good experience. Hialeah resident Dwayne Fallon says going off the grid could help with that.
0: Having more solar power technology with hos- hospitals, um, fire stations, um, police stations, And, you know, that's what I'm working on getting out of the House.
9: That's not on the lawmakers' agenda, whose policy recommendations instead include boosting the state's petroleum reserve and strengthening its fuel supply chain. In total, there's 182 considerations, which range from immediate solutions to long-term policy changes. Still, South Floridian Sandra Pineda is concerned the considered measures don't cover everything. Every time that we face a hurricane, if you are a homeowner, they raise up the prices for the insurance. She wants lawmakers on the select committee to address that rising cost in the next legislative session that begins January 8th.
0: been listening to After Irma, What's Next for Florida. For Skylar LeBron, Luke Sullivan, Dolores Hinckley, David Jones, and Grace King, I'm Ryan Vasquez.